Open your Bibles, if you would, to Proverbs 5. Proverbs 5. We are making our way through the Proverbs on Sunday nights. We've been off for a couple of weeks for the Fish Festival and the Gospel Meeting. So we'll pick back up and remind ourselves of these great words of wisdom that the Holy Spirit has preserved for us. Uh, the last time we did look at Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 4, we looked at a father's advice to his son. And this is uh, a common theme throughout. Um, we'll see it often where he, he'll say th- things such as, Hear, O sons, the instructions of a father. And that precedes a lot of what is said here, especially in Solomon's writings. But in that particular one, we saw um, that it was indeed mainly based in wisdom. How wisdom can be a benefit to a maturing young man. Tonight we're going to consider what is said in Proverbs 5 about the dangers of immorality. Now Solomon has already given warning of an adulteress, or uh, some translations might say a strange woman, He mentioned this back in chapter 2. Look back in chapter 2 for just a moment. Beginning of verse 16. It says, To deliver you from the strange woman, from the adulteress who flatters with her words, that leaves the companion of her youth and forges the covenant of her God, and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death, and her tracks lead to the dead, None who go to her return again, nor do they reach the paths of life. There's already been some warnings about this kind of woman. And so here in in Proverbs 5, he expands expounds upon that and talks more about this strange woman, this adulteress. And he's going to continue in this vein through the next two chapters, through chapters 6 and 7. So it's obvious that this is a serious problem. And there needs to be teaching on this. Solomon is, is recognizing that there needs to be um, some thought put into this, the passing on of knowledge to his sons. And consider for just a moment um, who is speaking here, and consider how adultery has played in his life. This is, remember, Solomon who is speaking, whose father was David. And think about the great downfall of David. It had to do with adultery. And I think it's also interesting that uh, adultery would pay, would play the, the major role in the downfall of Solomon himself. I remember there towards the end of his life how he loved many strange women. And that indeed was what led him away from God. So as we read these teachings and, and, and consider Solomon's wisdom, let's, let's remember what uh, an important role it played in Solomon's life with his father and with himself. Let's begin by understanding that, there, that his, the wisdom to his sons, the instruction to his son, first let's consider that they need to be beware of an adulteress. Read with me verses 1 through 6 here in Proverbs 5. It says, My son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. 
that you may observe discretion and your lips may reserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey and smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps lay hold of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life, her ways are unstable, she does not know it. Again, similar language to what we read over there in, in Proverbs 2. But he expands upon it a little bit more here. The picture painted of an adulteress is not a very pleasant one, is it? Look there in verse 3 again. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech. You know, this kind of speech is, is warned about throughout Scripture, throughout Proverbs, throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament. You see there, we've already read there, chapter 2, verse 16, to deliver you from the strange woman, from the adulteress who flatters with her words. If you look over in chapter 6, verse 24, it says, to keep you from an evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. And also in chapter 7, verse 21, with her many persuasions, she entices him. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. Warning after warning about this kind of speech, about a woman who would flatter you with her words, draw you away from what is good. The Bible warns us many times about those who would use flattery in such a way to get what they want. David says of this kind of people in Psalm 5 and verse 9, there is nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Is that, you hear that over and over again about the open grave going down to Sheol. The warnings are there. To beware of this kind of speech that is going to lead you down the very bad path. In the New Testament, Paul warns of those who cause, who cause trouble amongst the brethren. In particular place there in Romans 16, beginning of verse 16, it says, Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teachings which you have learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not for our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. We've been warned against these kind of brethren that try to lead others astray. With what? With their smooth talk. With their flattering language. Same as, same as this adulteress. Trying to lead others astray through what they say. Contrary to that, look over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Contrary to this smooth and flattering speech is the proper kind of speech. In 1 Thessalonians 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, For you yourselves, brethren, for you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not as pleasing, 
uh, not as pleasing men, but God, who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with the pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from, uh, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. But we proved to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you have come very dear to us. This is the proper kind of language. Paul says that they, that they came bringing the gospel. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 2, I desire no, to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's a simple message that needs to be brought. It needs to be taken into the world. Not smooth and flattering speech. Not any kind of speech that would puff one up, but rather the simple message of the gospel. So there's warnings against that, those kinds of speech. And Paul tells us what the proper kind of speech is. Speaking the gospel through love. The consequences for falling for this kind of language are terrible. Back there in Proverbs 5, look back at verse 4. We've mentioned this. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Does that give you some, some imagery there about this woman? In the end, the flattery leads to nothing but bitterness. Bitterness like wormwood. And that idea there of, of a two-edged sword, it cuts both ways, as a two-edged sword does. You know, there was a, some time back, remember Devin brought in a two-edged sword? <laughs> we were taken back a little bit by that, weren't we? That sword cuts both ways. And so I think about the imagery of, of this woman with her smooth and flattering speech cuts one way, but also goes and cuts the other way. It might sound good and, and, and flattering at the time, but it cuts the other way, too. It leads to Sheol, leads to death. Bitter as wormwood. Look in verse 5. It says, Her feet go down to death. Her steps lay hold of Sheol. Adultery is sinful. And sin leads to death. The sexual relationship is exclusive to the husband and the wife. In Hebrews 13 and verse 4, the Hebrew writer reminds the listener there about marriage. It says that the marriage bed is to remain undefiled. Marriage is to be held in honor among all. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. That relationship is exclusive to the husband and the wife. Anything outside of that is not approved by God. That's fornication and adultery. And the Hebrew writer says that God will judge that. Look in verse 6. It says, She does not ponder the path of, her, of life. Her ways are unstable. She does not know it. These kind of people are unstable. And I, I'd venture a guess that if we've lived long enough, that we've witnessed these kind of people, haven't we? This kind of people that practice such things, 
who think nothing of breaking up marriages to suit their own desires, to suit their own agenda. These kind of people are unstable. They don't know what it means to guard their steps. Back in chapter 4, we looked at uh, the idea of staying on the path. In chapter 4, verse 25, it says, Let your eyes look directly ahead, and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet, and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Turn your foot from evil. The adulteress has no comprehension of such teaching, of guiding your footsteps, staying on the straight and narrow path. The lure of adultery promises a lot, but it only delivers misery. And the costs to the marriage relationships are high. So let's think about some of the things that adultery will cost. Read with me. Let's pick back up in our reading in verse 7. It says, Now then, my sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your vigor to others, and your years to the cruel one. Let strangers be filled with your strength, and your hard-earned goods go to the house of an alien. And you groan at the latter end, when your flesh and your body are consumed. And you say, how have I hated instruction? In my heart spurned reproof, and I have not listened to the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to my instructors. I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly, and congregation. The costs here are numerous. He talks about first about costing your livelihood. Back there in verse 9 and 10, lest you give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one, lest strangers be filled with your strength and your hard-earned goods go to the house of an alien. Your strength and your wealth will go to someone else. What does that mean? Well, in the modern form of this, this is alimony. This is child support. These are those things that are consequences of a broken marriage. Because you commit adultery and break up that marriage, that family unit. And now what you work for, instead of going to your family, goes to someone else. So that they might support your children. Your strength and your wealth go to someone else. Think about all the heartache this caused when a family breaks up. Think about the strength, the wasted time and energy. I think that's what Solomon is alluding to here. When he talks about your vigor uh, and your years go to someone else. The prime of your life, the, the, the fruit of what you have worked for, just goes to someone else. All because you stepped outside the marriage. You know, I think about, um, I don't know why my mind went to this, but I thought about this. If you're an agent in the FBI or the CIA or some high level in law enforcement, and you, you're found out to be committing adultery, you know what they do? They usually fire you. And why? Because you can be blackmailed. You're in that situation, and you're stepping outside of your marriage, 
that person that you're stepping outside with might be able to blackmail you. So it's a very serious thing. And I think sometimes we don't realize how serious it is, especially those in the world. People of the world have made light of this. We look at the divorce rates. Look at how easily people go in and out of marriages. But this is a serious thing. It can be detrimental to your health. There in verse 11, and you groan into the latter end when your flesh and your body are consumed. Now think about the, the, the dangers to your physical health. Again, the modern form of this, STDs. Think about those who step outside the marriage and are with strangers, the diseases that can be transmitted back and forth. There's risk of our physical health in this. Not to mention the rage of a jealous husband. Look over in, uh, in six, chapter 6, verses 34 and 35. Speaks of jealousy. For jealousy enrages a man, and he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not accept any ransom, nor will he be content, though you may give him many gifts. So again, this is highly emotional, what we're talking about here. And you have a jealous husband that comes on the scene. There's a lot that can be detrimental to your health. You know, I enjoy watching the, the law enforcement shows where they show the, the police officers going out and, and dealing with people in the public. And almost to, to every one of them, they'll say the most dangerous things they ever go into are domestic disputes because emotions are running so high. And they know that there's danger there when their emotions are that high. Jealousy, abandonment issues, anger. All this because someone has stepped outside the marriage. The emotional and the spiritual part of it. It's interesting that he says there in verses 12 and 13, and you say, how, have I, hated how I have hated instruction in my heart spurn reproof, and I have not listened to the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to instructors. You regret not listening to the people who are trying to help. Lessons such as these that are meant to encourage us, uh, husbands and wives, to remain faithful to your wife and your husband. Hear these things. You regret not listening to it if you find yourself in this. And although it's not as shameful as it once was, there's still shame in adultery. Again, I mentioned that the world makes light of marriage and the marriage relationship. But there still is shame in adultery, especially when it comes to those in the brethren, those in the religious world. Look at verse 14. It says, I, I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. Think of the shame and and the terrible consequences that would befall you, especially when it comes to your brethren. Now, this doesn't mean that you can't be forgiven. It doesn't mean that the brethren aren't supposed to take you in and help you. We talked about that this morning in Galatians 6, about those who have stumbled. It's up to us to restore such a one. But there's still shame. There's still dishonor. There's still broken trust. In chapter 6, again, in verse 32, 
It says there, the one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He who would destroy himself does it. Wounds and disgrace he will find and his reproach will not be blotted out. There's a stigma attached to it, and rightly so, for those who've stepped outside the marriage and betrayed the trust of their spouse. So we know there's danger. We know that there's what it will cost us, the, the physical, the emotional, the spiritual. So how do we keep from it? How do we keep the marriage bed pure? Pick back up in our reading in verse 15. Very simple terms here. Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breasts satisfy you all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a stranger? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. His own iniquities, iniquities will capture the wicked, and he will be held in the cords of sin. And he will die for lack of instruction, and in greatness of his folly, he will go astray. So how do we keep from adultery? It's husbands, starts by just loving your wife. We read that in verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Let the fountain, verse 18, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Affection is inherent in what's being said here. The language is very descriptive. Husbands, it's your duty to love the woman you have taken as your wife. In Ephesians 5 and verse 25 very simple teaching. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That's the level of love that husbands need to have for their wives as Christ loved the church. And if you're doing this, if you're truly loving your wife and using the example of the love that Jesus Christ has for the church, adultery shouldn't be anywhere in the picture. Because to engage in such is not loving your wife. That's betraying your wife. That's betraying your husband. That's breaking down the trust that you two have come together under. Many times in the, in the marriage vows, they will say, forsaking all others. You've made a vow to your partner that you're going to be with them. Adultery breaks that trust. The love of the wife belongs to her and to her alone. Verse 16 says, Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let your waters, let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Verse 20, For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress? Be content with the waters. Be content with the loving relationship that you have with your wife and wives with your husbands. 
Don't look for others. Don't go around looking for other waters. Be content with your own. And finally in this, we have the sobering understanding that God is watching all of this. Verse 21 says, For the ways of the man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. If we think we can escape the eyes of the Lord, read the book of Jonah, right? You think you can not go to Nineveh by going to Tarshish? Think again. These things are clearly in the eyes of the Lord. The one who commits adultery is only damaging himself. God knows. He knows what's going on. We can't hide it from him. And he will judge accordingly. Again, the Hebrew writer says there in in chapter 13 and verse 4, fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. It's important to understand how ugly adultery is. It is a terrible sin. It tears down the trust between the husband and wife. They have committed themselves to one another. They've taken vows in front of witnesses that says that they have committed themselves to each other and trusted themselves to each other, forsaking all others. And when one steps out on the, on the marriage, that trust is broken. It looks tempting. As we read in many places, the adulteress's speech is flattering. It says there that the lips of an adulteress drip honey. It's very flattering. It's very tempting. But it's hollow. That two-edged sword cuts one way, but yes, it cuts the other way too. A woman who would commit adultery with you would commit adultery against you. What trust do you have in her? She doesn't guard her ways. She doesn't, she's not interested in walking and, and watching where her feet fall on the path. She's unstable. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. One last thing that I'll leave you with is this. A lifetime of loving your wife is an honorable thing. And in this day and age, it's a rare thing. We don't hear too many marriages going 50, 60 years, do we? It's pretty rare. But I'll tell you, brethren, that it's an honorable thing. And I'll also tell you, and, and you don't need to hear this from me, but it takes work. It takes effort to continue to love the wives of our youth. But it's worth it. And it's what God wants out of the marriage relationship. Once we commit to a husband or a wife, God wants that union to last forever until one is released from it in death. 
And that's an honorable thing. Like I said, this is an important thing. We're going to talk more about it in chapters 6 and 7. About how this adultery tears down a family. Tears down the relationship of husband and wife. So it needs to be spoken of. It needs to be taught. We need to teach our children about this. So that they won't fall into this. And that they'll hold marriage up to be the honorable institution that it is. If you're not a child of God, we offer an invitation as we always do at the end of our time here together. You can become a child of God. By hearing and believing, repenting of the life that you used to live, confessing that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God. Upon that, you can be baptized, washing away your sins, coming up out of that water, a new creature walk in newness of life. If you haven't done that, you have the opportunity. If as a child of God you stumbled, if as a husband or wife in the relationship you're not honoring or loving your wife or your husband as you should, make that right. Don't take it for granted. It takes work. But putting God first will always be the right thing to do. And as you Grow closer to God, you'll grow closer to your wife or your husband because you'll be putting them in the right place in your life. Whatever your needs might be, you can let, us, let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing.